0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ollie's Bus Looks Set to Break Down. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, We'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's two up top. But what a two it is. And that means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been
1: since we last spoke? Yeah, really good, thanks Dan. We've had another action-packed weekend of Premier League football and VAR chat, so looking forward to getting into this one again. Top man. And also, that means you're joined by Fulham fan Matthew. So Matthew, I hope all
0: is well. How have you been, not just this week, but I guess these past 24 hours?
2: Yeah, slightly more upbeat than I have been on previous podcasts, because I can finally discuss a Fulham win at some stage, and we're going to get into that later in the thing. So yeah, slightly more upbeat than normal, which is hopefully a good thing.
0: Absolutely, mate. And also a quick hi to Max, who's on a scouting trip for us this week. So hopefully he will be back in the fold next Tuesday. Right. i best do some social media bits first. Otherwise we'll be talking to the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Tracy 1983 Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Also, I want to give a shout out to Freelance Football Opportunities on Twitter at FFOps. If you are a freelancer and looking for paid jobs at the moment, they do an excellent weekly newsletter in return for a Patreon contribution of roughly £3. I cannot recommend it enough in this current climate. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's start at Old Trafford. And although the game itself is, well, little to write home about, shall we say, the fallout between Manchester and Arsenal, Carl, is uh, quite interesting because in a season where teams are already dropping points left, right and centre, the Red Devils are taking this concept just a little too liberally.
1: Yeah, you know, they're having a really bad time of it at the moment, aren't they? And, and to be honest, the, the football air plan as well leave, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, you know, they had a great result in, in the Champions League, didn't they, against PSG? Because I, I never saw that result coming, if I'm honest, um, especially away from home. And, uh, you know, United have just become one of those sides, that you know, poor performance, poor performance. Then they have a, you know, a reasonable performance and a good win. And you think, OK, could this be what sparks things and gets them going? But then, you know, the following game, they're back to, you know, not particularly being very exciting. You know, defensively, they, they look a little bit vulnerable and you are just starting to sit there and think, well, you know, what what are they going to do? You know, what can they achieve this season? Because when we went into this season, I had to admit, you know, the way they finished the season, I was tipping United to be, you know, potentially third this year thinking, well, I think, you know, they, they will really go close given, you know, the players they've got. Um, the summer signing of um, Van der Beek, I thought that was a great signing. And you start thinking, well, wow, yeah, you know, United could really do something. But they're a long way off of looking like they can do something this season. Um, And even now, you'd sit there and say the top four potentially could be, you know, really at risk unless they do something, can turn the season around. But they're looking woeful. They look like a side with no ideas. And it does beg the question now, you know, how long has Ollie got left before that axe gets gets wielded? Um, I would sit there and say "I don't think it's that long you know I think you maybe give him two or three four more games, and if nothing really improves in that time, I can see you know the board maybe thinking, well look maybe the time has come for us to make a change, but at the same time, given the way the players are playing, could that change do anything make any difference? I'm not so sure
0: I mean. When you look at United, as you say, Carl, it's almost the fact that they ended the season, and obviously it has to stop. It's probably the worst thing that's happened because all that momentum they built up towards the tail end of last season, in that restart phase, they were flying. They've been a completely different team since. Cold, rotten. Pick your own term, but they've been absolutely useful. Sorry, useless. And Matthew, I think it's fair to say that United have got all manner of problems in all areas of the pitch. You know, we could pick. Any third and dissect it and sort of go, oh, God, you know, they're bad because of this, that and the other. Let's look at their midfield, though. And I think, really, the lack of continuity in terms of selection, because you don't know who's playing, the shape, the, the personnel. It's a nightmare from week to week.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Man United have got a number of, you know, I, I Pogba's one of these, you know, he wants to be classed as the world class player. But I don't think he's quite that. You've got a load of very good players. You know, you mentioned Van Der Beek, who's just sitting on the bench at this stage. Fred, McTominay, all very good players. But there's no real standout players that you would think absolutely, you know, command a place in the league. You know, Bruno Fernandes may be one. But other than that, there's not really that amount of talent that you think, you know, in years gone by that you know, absolutely command a place on the team sheet. And so Ollie is still you know, trying to rotate things, trying to find his best system. And I think it's obviously come back, come back to bite him.
0: Absolutely. And Carl, when you look at Donny van der Beek, he didn't start United's first game against Palace. And you could probably think, OK, that's fair enough. You know, adjusting to new surroundings and all that. There will come a time when he should be straight at the first 11 every week. It's not there yet. It's week seven of the season.
1: He must be thinking, what on earth have I done here? Yeah, de- definitely. Because, like as you say, the first game you might have gone, well, OK, you know, he's just joined, settling in. United didn't have much of a pre-season, so he, he wouldn't have been able to get to know. So you kind of could have accepted maybe the first one or two weeks, you know, just bedding him in and easing him in. But as you say, by now, um, and given the form that United are in, you certainly would be sitting there saying, well, I, I can't believe he isn't getting a start and a run of games now. Because, you know, I'm you, we can talk about Pogba all day long, couldn't we? You know, I I, I can't understand why now. You know, you do, You're not sitting there saying, well, actually, you know, Bruno Fernandez looks like he's got something good about him, so he would always probably be in your team. Um, and then you're looking for someone to play alongside him. Well, Pogba's shown, you know, very hit and miss, and, and can't be relied upon to be consistent. So you would have assumed by now, given everything that's gone on, Van der Beek would probably have taken that role alongside him and been given a run of games to try and prove himself. The fact he hasn't, you know, you just sit there scratching your head going, well, I don't understand why you brought the guy in to not play him. And especially given the run of form that you're in um, and some of those players are in. So I would have thought he's sitting there as well, probably now thinking, well, hang on, what is going on here? You know, when am I going to get a chance to prove myself? And it, it does just, you know, the mind boggles as to why he hasn't been yet. Ollie must have his reasons and, and, you know, the reasons why he's not picking him. But again, I would think that's probably one of those things right now that's probably not helping Ollie because there'll be fans sitting there saying, well, look, you know, give this guy a run. You know, come on, you know, change it up. Give, give, give this guy some games and hopefully we've got the player we think we've got on our hands. But who knows? But I think you would definitely be scratching your head. And if you're him, you'd be sitting there thinking, oh, my God, have I made the right decision here?
0: Matthew, another new arrival at Old Trafford, Edinson Cavani. So, looking at his meagre minutes that he's had thus far, do you reckon he's going to be closer to Falcao or Zlatan in terms of big-name strikers who have made a similar move?
2: Um, I think it's a bit early to sort of start putting putting labels on him right now. Obviously, he's sort of leaning towards Falcao because he hasn't quite managed to yeah, but he hasn't managed to find the back of the net yet. I don't think, unless he scored one in Champions League that I've lost track of. Um, yeah, I think uh, Cavani was a bit of a weird one because I don't think he's going to command a start. No, similar to the midfielders, I can't see him command getting a starting place in the front in the in the lineup anytime soon. Because I think the likes of Marshall, Rashford, and Greenford are, have basically got that pretty much pretty much to themselves. Um, so he's probably going to have to deal with, you know, minutes off the bench at the moment. That's going to restrict his chances. Um, obviously, he's going to have to, you know, you know shy esque If he can come off the bench and score a couple of goals, then maybe that will get him into the starting lineup. But as things stand, he's got, still got a long way to go.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, we like sweeping statements, but you are right, Matthew. It's probably too early to sort of label one way or the other. But, Carl, in terms of Arsenal, the spirit of George Graham is certainly living on under Mikel Arteta. It was a classic 1-0 to the Arsenal on Sunday. With that said, they certainly deserve to be winners, didn't they?
1: Yeah, you know, they were, in my opinion, just a better side. You know, I don't think any team comes out of that game, if you like, with, with glowing feedback. Um, you know, Arsenal didn't have to be brilliant to beat Man United that night, but they were the, they were the better side on the night, definitely. Um and, and, yeah, a good result for Arsenal because, you know, when we look at Arsenal, you know, we've said many a times, Dan, haven't we, when we discussed them, you know, you could potentially go and play a podcast back from, say, two, three years ago. And we'd probably be saying the same things about Arsenal where, you know, decent going forward, but just nothing at the back. And, and that's what normally costs them. Um, so this would have been the sort of game where you could see Arsenal might have played some pretty football, but then the defensively they've come undone if they can shore that up and and make sure they come away from games like that with a clean sheet, even if it's not pretty, um, and get the win, then that will be the difference between them slipping away and them actually being up there challenging for a top four place. So I think slowly, slowly, Arteta's possibly putting a blueprint down and and a way of playing. Um, I think they've still got a way to go, but those sort of results will definitely improve things. And if they can stay as solid as that, Um, for the remainder of the season, then they'll definitely be up there in Rivershire at the top four.
0: This is it, Matthew, because if you look at those two teams, the fact that they were, what, 13th and 15th on Sunday, I know the league table's so sort of in a state of flux, we shouldn't be too much into that, but they're far lower than what they should be. They're also far lesser than what they were 20 years ago, so even those two teams playing is such a sort of less inspiring matchup than it was in the King Vieira days. With that said... As Cole alludes to, Arsenal certainly feel like there's a process in place and it may take time, but it's going the right direction slowly. Man United, they don't know what direction they're going in and what direction they're trying to go in, they're not going in it either.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the um, it, 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 if we want to say, you know, who. Who does this speak more for? Is it bad for United, good for Arsenal? I think this is more of a statement for Arsenal because you saw the statistic and it's been dragged out for all these years that they hadn't won away at a big six side since 2015, I believe it was, away at Manchester City. So the fact that they finally managed to get that off their back, you know, and they've showed they can go to, you know, least, you know big six, top six, however it is, because United their position is somewhat, again, as I said, in a bit of flux at the moment. The fact that they can go away to one of the big teams and actually pick up a win, even if it's not the most, you know, the, if, it, if it's not the prettiest of wins, shows that there is a little bit more progression under Mikhail, Arteta. We've seen what they can do in the cup competitions. Uh, Europa League, you know, still to be decided after what happened last year. But at least in the Premier League, rather than being one of these teams that, you know, you
1: know, they
2: were on, you know, constant top four then fringe of top four then compete for the Europa League now they're taking a step back in you know, what Arsenal fans would see is the right direction so now they can be on the fringe of the top four and the, and if they can carry this on you know if they go to Liverpool say and Tottenham and any of these other sides and pull out similar results then it will show that they've got things that are going in the right direction under Mart- Arteta.
0: Matthew, stay with you while you're there. And in the name of science, do you think it was coincidence or pure fact that Dominic Calvert Lewin scored on Sunday after a certain musical instrument was played just days before?
2: I um, don't know. It's a bit of a weird one, <laughs> and I have the offending instrument in my hand now, so I'm kind of wondering what I need to do.
0: I think you need to not play it this week, and if he doesn't score, then we, I think we're on to something. I think it's very yeah, let's yeah, um,
2: yeah, let's uh, put the kazoo to one side. For Good man. A yeah it, it's it's good but I don't, I don't i don't want to claim too much credit or too much credit for any of this you know or no i say we the show doesn't want to take too much credit because of your kiss of death last season but absolutely it is it is good to see dominic calvin lewin back in me um back in the goal ring, uh goal scoring charts again and is it any coincidence that it's around about the time that the england squad starts to get you know starts to get being brought up um I don't, I don't think so personally. He knows the Gareth Southgate. You know, Harry Kane's getting back in the goals. He needs, he needs another man to go to, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin thinks, mm, why not me?
0: Absolutely, but Carl, for all the talk of the Toffees having a crack at the top four and all that, they're going through their first sticky period, shall we say? Now, I guess without both Richardson through suspension, James Rodriguez through injury, they are a far different
1: proposition, aren't they? Yeah, I think that was always the concern, wasn't it? You know, and I think we discussed earlier on. You know, it. it... Everton, I think, remind me of Spurs a few seasons ago where you say, if you've got their first 11 out, then they've got a real decent 11 that can probably give anyone a game. It suddenly, you know, you pick up one or two injuries or a suspension here and there, and then you start to see. Well, actually, well, you take a few key players out, and actually the performance levels drop a little bit. They don't look as dangerous. Um, we always knew, you know, when when you've got Pickford in goal, you've always got a danger of a keeper throwing one in against you. Um, but I do believe, you know, that was always going to be the problem for Everton this year. When they've got that first eleven out, I think they'll give most teams a game, and you could see them being in. Within you know top five or six definitely, and an outside shot at the top four maybe. But you know those injuries have proved that those last couple of performances they look a little bit flat. They don't look the same threatening animal. Um, and I think you know if you're Everton, you will be sitting there thinking mm, this could be the thing that just kind of holds us up this season in the fact that we just haven't got the depth that can keep us pushing on that front and keep us where we need to be. And you know. Momentum's a big thing. If they don't get those key players back very quickly, and they lose, you know, a couple more on the spin, then before you know it, you're looking at again a mid-table season. And again, everyone sits there and go, "Oh, you know, a season had such promising has just faded away again." So, yeah, I, I do think that you know, unfortunately for Everton, it's going to be a season where they've got to rely on having those first eleven and key players available week in week out. But that's hard to do in the modern game.
0: And Matthew, they were also without Jordan Pickford in goal after he was finally dropped by Ancelotti. So, what did you make of Olsen's debut? What did you make of the boss's comments about rotation after the game?
2: Yeah, just goes to show, it wasn't all Jordan Pickford's fault. Cause they can lose when he's not in goal as well. Yeah. Um, Olsen, he did he did okay. I don't think he can really be you know take blame for any of the for either of the goals that uh, Everton conceded. So whether or not. You know, uh, Olsen's done enough to convince Ancelotti that he should he should stay in goals is a bit of a different one. Obviously the circumstances surrounding Pickford being dropped and everything, I do think that there was there there is a little bit of, you know, take him out of the firing line because of what's happened on social media recently I thought, and all that's sort of, and all that sort of stuff. But I think given Olsen's display, I don't think I don't think it's going to be quite as easy or quite as simple as Carlo Ancelotti just Shifting Pickford back back in after a week, I I think there's going to be some real competition uh, for that spot uh, going forward, and I don't think Olsen's really off off the back of the first game done anything to warrant losing it.
0: No, I think he made some good saves actually. You know, I think unfortunate to uh, I think the penalty which we'll get to now actually, Cole, you can answer that question. So Callum Wilson slotted it home, but what did you make of the
1: Andre Gomez challenge which led to that award? Yeah, you know, I, I had to have a little, a couple of looks at this because, you know, when you see the replays, there's one angle where you can look at it, can't you, and go, well, I don't really see where there's a penalty in there. But then you can look at it from another angle and actually go, oh, yeah, you can see where Gomez... It's just one of them ones, isn't it? You know, Wilson just gets there just in front of Gomez as he's looking to try and clear it. Um, and unfortunately, his he's, he's follow-through from trying to clear it catches Callum Wilson in the back of the fire. Um, and, And he goes down. And I think we've seen a couple of those instances this weekend of penalties like that, where you sit there and go, unfortunately, yes, it's harsh because you are just trying to clear the ball. But I think realistically, I don't think you can moan too much. I think you say Wilson just nicks in in front and then he kind of takes him from behind. So for me, I, I kind of felt, yeah, you know, it's not a penalty that makes me go, no, that's ridiculous penalty decision. We've seen a couple more that this weekend. You go, wow, I, I can't believe, I can't believe what I've seen there. Um, so that one for me was fair enough. Um, and like you say, it is just unfortunate. You know, he, he, he's not really probably been aware of what's going on around him and Wilson nicking it in, in front of him, and unfortunately, he's paid the penalty for that literally.
0: Yeah, certainly weren't the softest one of the week, which we'll get to in a bit. So, Matthew, Newcastle, my new home team, they're not the easiest to watch, are they? But they certainly look better with Callum Wilson among their ranks. Now, their second goal was made in Bournemouth after Ryan Fraser put the cross in. So, all in all, do you think Wilson's goals across the season will manage to keep the Magpies just clear of any real relegation drama?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want this to be, you know, just a Callum Wilson. I think there is a decent squad in Newcastle, um, in the whole of Newcastle that will see them, you know, safely to about twelfth or thirteenth. But you do get the little sense that Callum Wilson is going to be one. If he, if he's out of the team, you don't see where the rest of the goals are going to come from. You don't see the likes of Joel Linton or Almiron, you know, contributing double figures as it well. where They they could probably get close to that, but not. In, but not enough to make you think, yeah, they'll be fine without Callum Wilson. I think he's. I think he's going to be the main driving force. And if he can, I think. You no, know, Carl uh, mentioned a couple of weeks ago. A lot of his goals may come through penalties, as we, as we saw on the weekend. But there is a there is a good there is a good player in there, so he should be able to keep Newcastle relatively safe. Yeah,
0: I think you're right there. To be honest, like I say, 13th. I think they'll just be clear of that pack, pretty much where they are now, actually. But I think it's certainly been a shrewd investment in terms of getting Wilson, because you look at Joe Linton, it gives you a shift, but not enough goals. Carroll, injury more than than not. So I think the fact they've got someone who's fit and knows where the goal is, is only a boost for Newcastle. So, Cole, there was a bit of drama at Anfield as Liverpool passed another test eventually without VVD. However, I guess we need to talk about Mo Salah and his pirouette. Now, people say, "Ah, well, we don't want to see that in the game. But when you see that, we don't really, do we?
1: No, I think, you know... I I do think, you know, he does go down too easily, doesn't he? And very theatrically when he's, you know, say, barely touched. I mean, let that say, it it was a penalty for me, you know, unfortunately. Again, this is a bit like the Callum Wilson one. You know, the defender's going to try and go and clear the ball. Salah just gets in front. And unfortunately, he he does kick through the back of him. So it's a penalty. But he doesn't have to go down the way he does. You know, the, these guys are built athletes. They're not, you know, like feathers that can be blown around. Um, so the way he goes down is what causes the kind of controversy. But I think we have seen, and I think it was Genus possibly said it on Match of the Day, or Danny Murphy, I think it was actually, that the problem we do have is because we've got this thing where unless a player does go down, they don't get a penalty. They are now thinking, well, I have to go down because if I don't, I have no chance of getting a penalty here. And that, for me, is what causes these guys to think, I need to hit the deck. And unfortunately, some do it a little bit more theatrically than others. Um, And it it does make you look and go, well, come on, you wasn't kicked that badly to to cause that sort of body motion. Um, But he's gone down and got the penalty. Um, And... I guess until we maybe do start seeing a time where players can be fouled, try to carry on, but if they can't, then the referee does go back and award the penalty. Then we may not see that kind of thing stop. Um, But, you know, he's not the only player that does it. So it'd be wrong, I guess, to just throw him under the bus. But he has got previous for the way he goes over the top with the fall.
0: Yeah, I mean, in any situation such as that, let's take Masuaki on Saturday, that if you offer that kind of Element to Salah's play that you know I've oh, not chewed. Then he is going to go down, as you say, Carl, because he feels he has to go down. And without that, then we are where we are. and It's never really going to change. So you can't really blame Salah. It's just the way that the extras come in. You sort of think, oh bloody hell! Like, does he need to do that much? But you know, whatever gains an advantage. If it was for your team, you wouldn't really moan, would you? You know, you take Kane's penalty against Brighton. You know, it's very very soft,
1: really. But as it, you... it's, it's the dark arts, then. Yeah, isn't exactly. It? Which... Lots of fans will probably turn around and say, "I wish my side were better at the dark arse. I know we have about Spurs, you know, sitting there saying, "Well, ah, oh, you know, I wish the players were cleverer, you know, or as Joe say, we'd call us intelligent, you know." But, yeah, I mean, it is, you know, sometimes you, it's not nice, but you've got to sometimes do that to get the rewards, and the rewards there were the penalty, uh, which helps them win the game. So, again, like I say, unless we see incidents where players don't go down but still get given a free kick. We won't see that change, unfortunately.
0: So, Matthew, that goal levelled the game for Liverpool just before the break and arguably changed the complexion of it also. So how disappointed will West Ham be coming away from Anfield with nothing? Because you could say, well, it was a free hit. But if you look at their recent performances, they might be aggrieved not to come away with at least a draw.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking to um, my boss at work who's a West Ham fan. He said it's sod's law the The first time in years that they've had to go to, they've got to go to Anfield with a depleted defense and their main man, Mikel Antonio can't make it. So I think they did, they did very well uh, in the, in the situation. I think, as you said, as a free head, they probably would have been looking more, you know, for a performance rather than a result. And I think they would have been very happy with what they saw, you know, a, de- a definite penalty, but again, in another day, that may not, that may not be given. And then just, you know, towards the end, tight, you know, uh, tiredness and quality just shows through with the pass from Shakiri to uh, Diego Hotta. So I don't think they can be too disappointed. And you know we've seen in recent weeks West Ham have started to turn themselves around after a bit of a poor start. So they'll take um, they'll take a lot of so- a lot of promise from this. And thing if they can go forward and keep these displays against the teams and the rest of the table, then they should be okay and be you know well away from a relegation scrap.
0: Carl Matthew just mentioned the winning goal there. So, with that in mind, does Diogo Yota now have a cast-iron case to be starting instead of Firmino?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, Firmino, you know, apart obviously, he's not a regular scorer, but obviously, he does bring a lot to his game. You know, he's a very clever passer of a ball, um, and he kind of links up well with Mane and Salah. But you have to say, you know, sometimes you know, he does need to start scoring a few more to kind of justify his place. And if someone, you know, if is going to get some games come in and do well, then I think he does put him under pressure. You know, I, I felt he was a great signing for Liverpool when they got him because he was really dangerous for Wolves, got great pace, seemed to have a good eye for goal. And I thought that was a brilliant bit of business when they got him from Wolves. And so far he's kind of started well in, in you know, the games he's played for Liverpool. And like as you say, he is now knocking on that door and giving Klopp a headache to kind of say, Well listen, you know, I think I deserve a start here and, and if he carries on that form whenever he gets a chance, then I don't think it'll be long before maybe he, we do start seeing him in the starting eleven more often.
0: And Matthew, Liverpool are down to the bare bones at centre-back. There's no doubt about that. But on the evidence of Nathaniel Phillips' performance, you wouldn't really know, would you? So what did you make of his offering on Saturday?
2: Um, I thought it was reasonably well, given the given the circumstances. I think, you know, similar to us, I think he, was, he would have been given a bit of a free hit, as long as he didn't make any catastrophic errors along along the line. I think given given the circumstance, I think he would have been would have been okay. Not a lot would have been expected of him, but he he did reasonably well and I don't see any reason why I think I I believe he got man of the match from I don't know if it was officially Sky or if it was from some other outlets. But I think that just goes to show that he can sort of hold his own in the Premier League. I don't know if it's gonna be enough for you know Liverpool to say right, we definitely don't need to go and buy a centre back in January because we've got this amazing wonder kid coming through. But it should certainly give Jurgen Klopp just a little bit of you know a little bit of a safety barrier to think, no, I don't have to force Fabinho into that position. I don't have to force you know I saw someone talk about John Henderson playing centre back. I don't have to force anything because I know I've got this guy who's ready and available for me.
0: Yeah, it eases the crisis ever so slightly, but I'd be very surprised if Klopp did dip into the market in January if the right options available. Because you know it's all very well saying, "Oh well, just go and buy someone in January," but January's a notorious window to get value and real targets, especially for clubs at the very top. Because usually, your rivals or clubs in Europe don't really want to sell at that point of the season. So we'll have to see how that one pans out. But let's go to North London now, because although Tottenham versus Brighton isn't really the story, Graham Scott certainly is. And, Cole, what did you make of the news that he hasn't been allocated a fixture this weekend?
1: Yeah, not not surprised, if I'm honest, Dan. Because Good. I think, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, and, and well-deserved, let's say. But when you make a kind of mistake that he's made there for all the world to see, then I do think, you know, someone has to do something to kind of say, listen, you know, you really dropped one here. Um, And, you know, we can't just suddenly brush it under the carpet and start picking you next week, you know, because I do think when a ref makes an obvious decision like that, they need a bit of time out, you know, to reflect. And also, you know, I don't know whether there's more training needed or something like that. But that the kind of error he made the other night was was so bad. That you had to say, well, wow, come on, you know, are you really going to let a referee ref games of, you know, mass importance when he clearly can't make an obvious decision like that one? Um, So I'm not surprised to see him pulled out. I don't think he'll be more than a week, though. I'm sure he'll be back after this weekend's games, reffing, Um And by that time, given this weekend, I'm sure there'll be another VAR decision that will happen. that will take everyone's attention away away from that one. Um, and he'll kind of fit back in and not too much will be said about it.
0: You mentioned VAR training. Can you imagine if there was, I don't know, like, let's say it's in Guildford or something. You have to go there for the day, like a health <laughs> and safety course. And you just have to play with the controls and sort of use VAR a bit better. Yeah. I think that's what we with- need. We're going to show you 10 tackles
1: on the screen. Pick out the ones you think are dodgy. Think <laughs> and at the end, something. you'll get your certificate. I've managed to complete the VAR training course. And you're back in.
0: <laughs> I think, I think we're on to, we've hit it, Carl. That's it. We've nailed it. Fantastic. Let's get onto to the FA. Because I know they're big fans of this show. So they'll probably be in, implementing that within a week or two. So we're sorted on that front. But Matthew, me and Carl dissected this at length last night. So I'm always keen to get a neutrals view. That being you today... Do you think Brighton's goal should have been chalked out? And what on earth was Graham Scott actually looking at?
2: Um, I personally don't no, think it was. here we go. All, <laughs> I don't think it was all that bad, personally. <laughs> I I thought it was a fair challenge. Personally, I don't get what. I mean, I've always said that I'm on the more you know on the more favourable physical side, I'd come from the Sam Allardyce, Bolton, Tony Pugh, Stoke line of thought in most things. Um, so maybe that's kind of playing a little bit of, um, confirmation bias in it, but I don't think it was all that egregious of a, of a decision personally. And at the end of the day, what are you guys complaining about? You won. Does it does it really matter? The, you know the end. No, not the end justified by the means. But you, you i on saying if you'd have gone and drawn one one, I think this would have been a much more major talking point. But really, just just call it off. It was fine. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't as bad. As, let's just say it wasn't as bad as the Pickford Van Dyke incident. Yeah. I'll call it that. Okay, so I, I, don't, I don't. I don't think it really deserves all the attention that it's getting.
0: You're right in the sense that it'll be forgotten by Friday because Spurs won and it's just as Carl says you'll we'll probably have another VAR talking point on this show next Tuesday. So I'll will
2: t- tell, tell you one thing if it's yeah. the other way round if it's a Spurs player doing that to a Brighton player you know are we and it's not Jose Mourinho talking about it afterwards are we having the same conversation uh, I don't think
0: so No, probably not to be honest but I guess you know that's not trying to be too biased because I'm trying to be as subjective as possible but that probably comes down to big club, small club, isn't it? And you think, OK, are oh, they're getting the decisions and so on and so forth. So in the grand scheme of things, you're absolutely right, Matthew, that doesn't really matter. I think it's more a
1: refereeing issue about the standard refereeing. Is that fair, Carl? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, I like to consider myself as a Spurs fan, but as a football fan in general. So, you know, even if that, if that was Brighton um, and it was the goal that led to Spurs winning the game, As much as I take it, I still would be sitting there after the game saying, wow, you know, you've got to feel for Brighton because that is a horrendous referee mistake. And I would still be sitting here saying, that is a referee that if they're missing obvious things like that, then that guy needs to be dealt with. Um, and, and I think that's the biggest issue, isn't it? I, I don't think it depends necessarily on what the result of the game was, um, who it was. I think we're very conscious at the moment with VAR and that coming in around how the referees perform, um, the decisions they're making, and are they missing some real obvious ones? And I think the, the biggest worry that that has highlighted is, you know, we we called it the other week, didn't we, about, you know, Are are the VAR referees, you know, prepared to overrule someone that they believe might be higher up the ranks than them? And again, I think this is one where you sit and go, we've had a VAR referee tell the actual on-pitch referee, you might have missed something here and you might want to go and look at it. And have we seen a situation where that referee is so adamant not to make himself look bad and not have that initial decision um, highlighted that he just sits there and says, I've seen it. In my opinion, yes, it's a foul because even if the guy wins the ball, he goes through the player as well afterwards. But I don't want to make myself look silly and overrule myself here. So no, I'm giving it. Um, And I think that's the trend that obviously we want to be careful of, that, you know, a referee, even when he's shown video evidence of, look, you've made a mistake here. We want to know that they're brave enough to actually go, Okay, yeah, I changed my mind here. You know, I I allowed the goal, but on, on evidence, I've reviewed it. And yes, there is a foul there. So, you know, goals disallowed you know, and there you go, hold my hands up, I missed that one. Um, So I think that's what we really want to be keen about, is that when a referee is asked to go to the monitor, we want to make sure that they can be brave enough to actually say, oh, yeah, I missed one here, I'm overruling that.
2: Or, hang on, hang on, hang on, I don't think it's a case of, like, a referee being stubborn or anything. I think this is, you know, this is what you want or what VR is really... What you want, what you wanted, what you wanted to happen, is a referee just to confirm his to confirm his initial decision. Again, this is something that's subjective. It's not as if he's gone and you know for an offside or something that's clear. A foul like this, you know, as we've discussed on this, it's a subjective thing. If he's to say, you know, I don't think he's like overruling the thing. He just said, it's an, are you sure about this? So he's gone and said, right, I thought it was a foul initially. You've given me the chance to look. And even though, you know, I saw it at real time first and now I've seen it slowed down, slight difference, I, I still think that's not a foul. I don't think he's, as I said, I don't think he's overruling. Yeah, I don't think he's being told by VR that's a definite foul. That's a definite foul. I think it's just, it's an are you sure? And he says yes. And I'm OK with that personally.
1: Well, I'm OK if it's not a blatant error, I think. But when you, when, if you're asked to look at that again, I don't see any ref in the world that could look and go. Oh, yeah, sorry, no, actually, it's not even like the guy wins enough of the ball where you can think, oh, yeah, actually, no, he does catch enough of the ball. If he catches a socks whisper, if anything, um, and and actually, we know at the moment, you still don't. You can even win the ball and still be cast as giving a foul away by the you know going through the player. I'm very surprised that you know a referee has actually had a chance to relook at that and not gone, oh yeah, actually, no, I've missed one there.
0: Yeah, I think the fact that John Moss has told him to go to the monster is pretty much the clue. Now, we never really know what John Moss has actually said, but for that to play out, you sort of think maybe there's a foul there. And I also think Graham Scott has maybe doubled down here and thought, right, you know, it's gone on for so long, I need to just stick to what I'm doing. And really, he's paid the ultimate price for not getting the game this weekend. So I guess it sits with him and life goes on. You know, Spurs won and thankfully, Carl, we're now six unbeaten in the league. So that actually is the longest run in the division That's far. So being a model of consistency certainly has its benefits when you look how competitive the table is at present.
1: Yeah. And and I think for us, Dan, you know, the real frustration is that we're second, but we should really be comfortably top at the moment. You know, I think we've got to sit there and say that Spurs at home have dropped, you know, seven seven points um, so far. So, you, you know, if you put those seven points on, which, you know, we should really have got, you know, no disrespect to the teams we played, but I, I think we're probably a good enough side to have, you know, beaten Everton on the first day or at least got a point. We should, we know we should have beaten Newcastle and we know we should have beaten West Ham. Um, so, It's more frustrating when you see those points dropped because we could be comfortably first um, with a few points in hand. And then you are really looking at some momentum building. Of course, it's only six games. There's a lot more football to go. You know, if we were second and we've played 32 games, I'm getting excited um, and thinking, wow, something could be on here. Uh, There's a lot of football. um, But. All you can do is win the games that you do, and we're probably one of the only teams, as like we've said, that have got some form of consistency going at the moment. Um, because this is a league so far where we've seen teams can be hit and miss one week to the next. So, if long may it continue, um, but we, we still need to get a lot more solid in what we're doing, especially defensively.
0: And Matthew, before we move on, we are best talk about Gareth Bale. in the goals from a Tottenham point of view, but how pleasing is that for you from a Welsh capacity?
2: It's absolutely perfect. He's in form just at the right time. As I say, it's n- this. This was never going to be about scoring goals or anything personally this was all about getting match fitness you know nothing personal to you Dan but I don't care what Tottenham do any anything so long as Bale is playing 90 minutes Spurs can lose every game 8-0 for all I care so the fact that he's getting some minutes under his belt the goal will obviously be, be a boost of confidence but yeah it's all happy days and I think it's it's the world is a happy place when Bale is a happy man so yeah all power to him
0: very good. Right, talking of goals, there were seven at Villa Park, and Carl Southampton might just
1: be glad the referee didn't find an extra minute or two at the very end of that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of those, isn't it? You know, and we could have been looking at a, you know a five-five or a six-five turnaround because, but like, they were looking really comfortable, weren't they? And then suddenly, really hanging on at the death. Um, but they were, you know, the first half was a really good performance from them, very clinical. And, and in Ward Prowse, you've got a player that. You know, if you give any set piece around the edge of the box now to Southampton and he's on the pitch, you're in real trouble because that guy's proved over a number of seasons that he's deadly from a set piece. Um, And Villa kind of didn't learn their lesson, did they? You know, warned once. Did it again the second time, and, and he's punished them on both occasions. Um, I think you know Villa might feel slightly aggrieved about the first goal because I didn't think that was a free kick. You know, Walker Peters puts the cross in, but the guy's just attempting to block the cross, um, and I, I'm very surprised that that one got called back for a free kick. But then at the same time, I think Villa are lucky that there you know, wasn't a red card in the first half for the handball on the edge of the box. Because for me, if the guy doesn't touch that, uh, Walcott brings it down and he's in one-on-one with a goalkeeper. Um, but a great game of football and as a neutral, they're the sort of games you want to see all the time.
0: Absolutely. And Matthew Southampton, I've beaten him five. And with James Ward-Proud celebrating his birthday on Sunday, it doesn't get much better really, does it? So with the age that he now is, can he become even better you know has he reached a ceiling in his career will he just be you know a very good player for southampton or is there just
2: more to come it's a bit of a tricky one because i cuz he he is the sort of player that uh, 5 or 10 years ago would everyone would be saying oh he's he's, he's going to be moving on to chelsea man utd arsenal or anything next but given the way that you know in the in the same way to Wilfred Zaha last or a couple of summers ago, where I said the West Hat no Crystal Palace rather don't need to sell him because, you know, they'd rather have you know have a decent performer and get the Premier League money over and over again rather than sell him once and maybe drop out of the Premier League as a result. I think James Will Press could be one of these players that, you know, stays at Southampton and pulls out a very, very Good career for himself. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't want to put him in the Matt Latissier category because I don't think anyone's going to stop that. But I do think there is potential for him to be, you know, a Southampton legend, as it was, if he can stay. If he can stay the whole of his career there, I do think he is capable of making a step up, but. Not in the same vein as I've been saying with Wolves and they could become a big club with what they're doing. But I do think Southampton could be a club that, you know, move and move up the table. And Ward-Prowse could, you know, with his skills, not just from free kicks and set pieces, but just general all-round play, could be a very big part of that.
0: I guess, Cole, that with the Premier League being awash with so much money, you know, COVID aside... No one really needs to sell anyone anymore, do they? You know, if we go back 15 years ago, Letizia could have been sold to balance the books from Southampton, that kind of thing. But that kind of transfer doesn't really exist. It's more that if the big clubs really want someone, they will get them in the end. But there's no real desperation for the likes of Sahar to be sold, the likes of Ward-Prowse. So if he wants to stay,
1: then so be it. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, Dan, that is a thing, isn't it? There's, there should be no Premiership side anymore who need the money to actually sell someone off their books to keep them running. So, as you say, none of them need to sell. I, the problem that teams like Southampton have is that if they get a player who comes in and breaks through and suddenly sets the Premier League alight, then all you do is just alert the big boys who are looking for that next star. Um, and it's very hard for a club like that then to keep the player because, you know... I'm sure Southampton are probably not the highest payers. Uh, they certainly won't match the top kind of two or three teams, the big clubs. So you know, when they get a star, someone like a Ward Prowse, if he now continues that sort of form throughout the end of the, to the end of the season, then you are going to have the bigger sides looking. And of course, it it's more comes around with a player gets his head turned by you know the possible Europe playing in Europe Champions League. A lux, you know, a luxurious contract that's going to get put his way with lots of money and lots of benefits and add-ons, um, and that is ultimately what then ends up seeing players move on because the the player wants that sort of football. He knows the likelihood of getting that with a team like Southampton's probably not going to happen unless they get brought by a you know a, a, an Abramovich type who's coming in and going to pump in loads of money. So the player then ends up forcing the move because he, he wants to advance his career. Um, and obviously, as we know, there still is this situation, I think, where you know some players of those smaller clubs will feel they might not get a look in internationally because they're not playing for one of the top six. And that is all that ends up seeing a player move on um, in this era in the Premier League. As you say, no club needs the money.
0: Matthew, going back to Aston Villa... Last season, you could accuse them of being a little goal-shy and very leaky at the back. They've probably fixed one of those elements, let's say the, the, uh, the goals, but they're getting a bit leaky again at the uh, other important end. So they've shipped seven at home in the last two home matches. Is there cause of concern for Dean Smith?
2: I think there's a, there would be a little bit of cause cause for concern, but I don't think it's major, because I do think they would they will have enough goals in them to um, win more matches than, than they... Or at least, or at least be comfortable. Even if they do have to win the odd game, you know, five four or four three. I think, I think there is enough. Will Dean Smith, you know, think about getting a new, you know, defensive midfielder or defender in the January window? It's a bit hard. It's a bit hard for me to say. In fact, it's a bit weird for me to talk about the January window. We're only in November. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think there is. I don't, I don't think he'll be pressing to buy one. But you know, similar as we said with uh, Liverpool and getting one there. If there's one for the right value, I. I wouldn't be shocked if they were to go go down that route.
0: Fair point. I guess it also depends where they are come January. If they're sort of skirting around the top half, you think, OK, it's not as pressing. But if you're 14th, 15th, looking over your shoulder, that might be the time to batten up the hatches, as it were. Um, something you could say for Burnley. But, Carl, they lost to Chelsea, and Chelsea are also unbeaten in five. So that's the second joint longest streak with Southampton. You'd have to say on that evidence against uh, Burnley at Turf ball, business as usual
1: yeah I mean you know Burnley I felt played well against us, you know at certain periods they obviously weren't weren't as good. And uh, that is against Chelsea and Chelsea kind of put them to the sword. And, and as you say, Chelsea have now got themselves on a little bit of a decent run. Um, and Burnley will need to sort this out quite quickly because, you know, as each week goes past, it's OK saying you've played reasonably well. But if you don't start picking up points, then, you know, it becomes harder and harder as the season goes on. So I think there'll be a slight concern there for Burnley.
0: Well, they've got Brighton away on Friday and they are two teams that you could quite easily label, as you just said, that they have played well but not got the points that they feel they would deserve. So something will have to give. They can't both lose at the Amex and if it does see Burnley lose again, then I think they're going to be in trouble for the season. You know, we had them having a bad start to the campaign, what, two seasons ago when they were in Europe and you thought, OK, well, that's because their squad has been stretched so far and those Europa League exploits that took him as far as Aberdeen. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? they sort of That was their mitigating circumstance. They don't have that now, and I think bad business that we spoke about last week is catching up with them, or the lack thereof. But, Matthew, there is some business in the offing, because it seems there might be a takeover. I think it's Egyptian businessmen, sorry if I'm wrong, I can't remember the exact nationality, but 200 million for the clarets. Does that constitute a good investment?
2: Um, I think that's that's reasonable. If you look at the uh, prices of what Premier League teams go for these days, uh, your local side, Newcastle, going for what three hundred, three hundred fifty yeah, million. A snip. If you compare exact yeah. If you compare that to you know the size of Newcastle to the size of Burnley, I think two hundred million. That's not that's not bad business when you consider that you can, if you you know if you invest that money, if you invest you know invest in the squad and so on. You can get that money back within the space of two seasons, staying in the staying in the Premier League, or you know one and a half season. So I think that's that's reasonable business. And you know, as you as you touched on earlier, a, a lack of investment in the past couple of years for Burnley. And if these new Egyptian businessmen come in and invest money and give them a new lease of life and start spending the money, then you know Sean Dyche will be just a little bit more comfortable in his job rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to have to do the you know take them back, you know. Get relegated, then bring them back up, job again. So yeah, it should be a reasonable, reasonable future for Burnley if if if, if this all goes through. Of course, no, at, at no point is a takeover ever official, as your local side will always know.
0: Absolutely. Well, one quick point about uh, sorry, one quick point about Burnley, uh, Carl, is that if this takeover goes through, and we're no longer dealing with a local businessman who sort of just happened to be in the Premier League. Will Burnley get ideas that are too big above their station and all of a sudden Sean Dyche's job, which has been so secure for so long, suddenly becomes under threat?
1: I guess that's the danger, isn't it? If you get someone come in who buys the club and has aspirations to kind of take them up the league and and sees, you know, the future that Burnley being regular Champions League side... Then, obviously, they will come in and kind of say, well, listen, we're going to give you some money. Then it's all about the recruitment, isn't it? Because if the recruitment is done properly and you bring in the right players, then you get to see how good the manager is and and can he suddenly start getting a side out that gets results regularly. Um, but like as you say, if you come in the recruitment's wrong and you start slipping down the table, then we we know, don't we, the first place they're going to look is the manager um, and someone could sit there and say, well, maybe Sean has done long enough here now and what the club needs is a refresh when sometimes it maybe isn't that that needs to be done. But I think, you know, yes, it, it will be that sort of case that Maybe with new owners coming in, they will have ideas, and there will be now some extra pressure on Sean Dyche to get some results, and maybe get Bournemouth, uh, sorry, Bournemouth Burnley higher up the table. And if that doesn't happen, then yeah, you know, you, you it's certainly something that could happen. that, You know, in another year or so, they're looking and saying, well, maybe you've had long enough, and it's time for us to try something new and go in a new direction. It also, I guess, depends on the contacts and that that they've got, because as we know, that they suddenly may have some contacts with agents who say, well, listen, I can get you this guy and bring you this manager in, um, and we think he could take the club on to a better level than the guy you've currently got. Um, so, yeah, all those things will come into play, definitely. Um, but obviously, be very careful what you do because, you know, that doesn't always work, does it? Chopping and changing a manager so regularly.
0: No, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And talking of what constitutes a good investment, Carl, Wolves' is signing of Rayan Aitnourie. So, I guess the perfect debut <laughs> for him on Friday is he scored Wolves' opener.
1: Yeah, and a real decent opener as well, wasn't it? You know, not an easy, not an easy sort of volley to keep down from the angle and the way the ball was bouncing um, so he did really well to tuck that one away a very nice goal and a great goal to start your debut with uh, and one that should give him the confidence to go on from strength to strength there let um, say so he had a solid game um, so I guess we just see what happens now and hope he can settle and keep that sort of performance coming each week so really good start and you know he'll be really pleased with that
0: Yeah it was a surprise that Roman size was dropped actually because I thought he's had a good start to the season so obviously Obviously, it paid off, but Matthew, Max, obviously, he's on a scouting trip. He has asked some debate, please, for Wilf lack of penalty. So he wants to know how on earth did Aitnery get away with not blemishing his copybook with that iffy tackle, shall we say?
2: Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good question. Um, you know, look, looking back on it, this is this is one of the I didn't I didn't quite see it live, but this is a match of the day job for me. I'm baffled that that wasn't given as a penalty. You know, we've seen the incidents over the weekend. Uh, I don't want to you know, make direct comparisons to any of them, but we've seen them, and that did look like looked like a Stonewall penalty to me. So again, whether or not it would have been enough to you know change the momentum of the game because Wolves were I think two a up at that point. So. It probably, w- it probably wouldn't have made a-, a big difference because I think Wolves would have seen the game out anyway. But I do think that Crystal Palace were very, very unlucky not to get a penalty in that situation.
0: And Matthew, staying with you, Wolves on the whole. I mean, they're sort of quietly going about their business, really, aren't they? We sort of thought, well, you know, if he start, had a couple of losses, but they're getting a run together. It's looking quite good now.
2: Yeah, this, this, this it's what... I think, I think we've we just sort of become used to what Wolves can do. So any sort of any sort of results like this was we'll oh it's Wolves. We know what we know what they can do. So I'm sure Nuno will be okay with that because it just means they can I say just go about their business. And then when it gets to March and you know Wolves are eighth in the table as they are more than likely going to do, then we'll start saying oh Wolves can make a late, uh, late push to the Europa League again as they inevitably always will because they're such a good side.
0: Right, Bramall Lane next. Now, Carl, Manchester City, this season, it's been sort of hard to sort of find talking points because they're just sort of not quite clicking and they're not blowing people away. And it's just sort of a bit matter of fact They're kind of football. So it's hard to sort of know if they're good, if they're bad. Like, what do you think they've done in the first six weeks or so?
1: Yeah, as you say, then it's that sort of thing, isn't it? They haven't blown teams away. You know, they've had previous seasons where at the start of the season, they're knocking teams for fours and fives for fun, um, playing some real exciting football. And you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, someone's going to have to do well to stop this team because this is a train at the moment that's going to just keep blowing through people. But this season, as you say, City have kind of been a little bit, meh, you know, meh, yeah, okay, that they're good in patches, um, but they're not exciting. They haven't kind of hit that ground running. Um, you always sort of think you've got a chance against them at the moment. You know, I think they've kind of lost some of that that fear factor that they had a couple of seasons ago where you sort of just thought, well, just resign yourself to there's six points you won't be getting this season. I think now, even at home, you go there thinking, well, defensively, I think they can be got at. Going forward, obviously, they're missing Aguero, which I think is really, you know, hit them hard. And the forward players haven't quite clicked, you know. So you're sitting there thinking there's not that fear factor at the moment. They're still a great side, you know. You've got De Bruyne, and if he's pulling the strings and on fire, you're in trouble because he's a great player and can spot any pass and play any pass. But as you say, they're, they're kind of going along, but they, they don't fill you with any confidence that you think they could go and blow the league away. But we do know, you know, they probably will be there or thereabouts. They just, I think for them, in that main issue you know, is that striker. And I think they will need to go out and invest and get themselves a key man up front that can kind of maybe put, pull everything together for them and give them that confidence to start going and beating teams heavily again.
0: Absolutely. I guess we'll get a true measure come Sunday when they play host to Liverpool to see sort of what level they're really at. Because they're sort of just, they're bobbing along. The league table is probably... A bit of a false position at the moment, although they've also got a game in hand. So if they win that, it changes everything, I think. But as for now, it's just been, yeah, just floating along the surface nicely. By that comparison, Matthew, Sheffield United are sinking like a stone. One point from seven. I think it's no win in 10 or something across both the last season and this. It's not looking good for Chris Wilders, is it?
2: It's not. And I think that they're just sort of um, I did I support that Max touched on uh, recently. I think the fact that the loss of the loss of Dean Henderson being one, and the loss of um, Jack O'Connell, the centre back, was I think I think that's just I, he's he's they're definitely it's definitely not a case of a one man team at Sheffield United because they don't have a standout player. But I do think that the absence of Jack O'Connell, which means you know shifting about the defence and everything like that, has is really costing them this season um, and. You know, I don't think they're going to be an attractive prospect, so I, I can't imagine anyone wanting to come to them in January again because I don't I don't think anyone's going to look at that situation and think, yeah, I want to be the one that comes and sorts them out, but I don't think it's really all that bad because Chris Wilde, you know, they were punching above their weight last year. I think it's just a case of coming back to back to the norm uh, at, at this stage of the season. So, I, I, you can't really blame Chris Wilder for, for what's happened. There's only so much he can control. But, yeah, it's just, it's just what it is for Sheffield United, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you consider John Lundstrom's not signing a new contract, there's almost a sense that perhaps people are sort of seeing the writing on the wall quite early and thinking, oh, do you know what? We've had a great run, be it a season and a bit, well, season. Um, maybe it's time to try something new. And dare I say, if uh, Chris Wilder can't, revive them. At what point does their chairman get a bit triggery and think, well, oh, you know, Christmas and all that, might be time for a change, loyalty or not. So it's a difficult one at Bramall Lane. Carl, I know we were doing a podcast for Leeds Leicester, will we won't do it for that, but during that being on, so I've watched about three minute highlights clip. All I could take from that game is that the Leeds overload got caught out massively last night. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, I, I was actually quite surprised. You know, I, I thought this could be a really exciting game because, you know, Leeds are Leeds are playing some good football. They're they an exciting side to watch. Um, and as we know, Leicester, they, they are a very good side as well. But I didn't see a 4-1 result come in there at all. And in the end, to be honest, Leeds really didn't play You know, they were very sloppy in possession. Um, You know, Patrick Bamford had an off night after his recent hat trick the week before, and it never really got going for Leeds. And they just, I think, got caught out by a more experienced side who had the players to take advantage of them. Um, And they'll just have to hope that that's a blip because, you know, again, they've played some good football, they've had some really good results. And I do think we might see that from Leeds this season. You know, they'll have some really good games, but then there'll be the odd nightmare in there for them. But I think Bielsa will keep them going and, and they'll still be, yeah. I th- I'd say they'll be mid-table come the end of the season. But they, they won't win a night like that too often because defensively they were poor.
0: No, Bielsa won't allow another like that. But you're absolutely right in the sense that they are going to have some volatile results. But that's just, I guess, the double-edged sword of the way they play. That when it works, it's great. But when it doesn't work, you get last night. So it is what it is for Leeds. Matthew, you've got three minutes full of West Brom. The floor is yours.
2: Oh, I don't. I don't need three minutes. <laughs> I, just, I, just want, I just want to say, I, I, I. We talked about this before we came on air that I don't want to get too caught up in, you know, suddenly everything is looking rosy at Craven Cottage right now. There were a couple of moments last night where I thought, yeah, this isn't. This isn't going to go well. Uh, West Brom put us under the cosh uh, for some stages. It was a good result, but at the end of the day, West Brom are a fellow struggling side, and you know, some people have tipped them to go down this season. So I'm not going to base the whole yes we're fantastic everything's going swell based off that one result you know we've got West Ham coming up the weekend who are probably more of a stern test and then after that it's it's either Everton or Leicester or Leicester versus Everton one of the two we get them in in that order um so those are going to be the games where I can actually say right how we actually made improvement or were we just lucky that we managed to get a decent result against you know a side that is going to be struggling at the end of the season so i don't want to get i don't want to get caught up in anything just yet but it's just one step in the right direction uh but it's certainly not a leap
0: okay that's absolutely fine mate i mean very quickly with the fixtures you've had they haven't really been big teams that you've played so are you a bit concerned that you've got tougher fixtures in inverted commas and you're thinking well if you didn't bank points early we might struggle to get them in that midsection
2: yeah absolutely because i do i can't remember who it was but i I do think we do have a stretch somewhere we've got the likes of Man United, Liverpool and Chelsea oh. three out of four weeks. Um, I don't I think don't those exact teams, but it is that sort of row yeah, you know, scenario. Um, have we missed an opportunity? Yes, but at the end of the day, all we really need, if you look at the maths behind it, it's 10, basically it's 10 wins. Yeah, and if you can pick them off against the likes of West Brom and other teams that are around us in the table, like Burnley, as we've mentioned, like Brighton, we have to play in a couple of weeks. If you could pick off if all you could just pick off ten wins against the teams that are around you, that gives you thirty points. That gives you good enough stead to start, you really start to get uh, generate something. So that's what we, what we really should be hoping for, D- regardless of what happens against the the big teams. If we can get a point, that's a bonus. But they're not really where we should be aiming for right now.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all about winning your mini-league, isn't it? If you can sort of win those matches, as you say, they will define your season as to whether you sort of stay up or go down. So you're absolutely right on that front. And we're absolutely out of time. So just need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two great guests this afternoon. Matthew, thank you for your time, as always, mate. A pleasure.
2: No worries. Pleasure as always
0: see you. Cheers, buddy. And, Carl, thanks for wearing the captain's armband, as usual. A sterling performance this afternoon. I hope you'll
1: join me next Tuesday. Yeah, definitely, Dan. Look, looking forward to it already, mate.
0: Top man. Right, with that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.